0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: I'm one of HRN's interns, Nina Medvinskaya, with a preview of the next episode of Meat and Three, our weekly food news roundup. This week's topic, the marriage of food and danger. Sometimes, danger
2: lurks in the food that we eat.
3: So instead of saying what is poisonous, I'd rather say what's not, because it's literally just the flesh and the
1: fins. Food poisoning doesn't just threaten our bodies, but it endangers our environment as well.
4: The emissions of JBS, combined with the other top five meat companies, exceed the annual emissions of Exxon, Shell, or BP. For more,
3: tune into this week's Meat
1: and 3 on Heritage Radio Network.
2: Available wherever you listen to podcasts.
4: Today's program is brought to you by Corrin, a supplier of Japanese chef knives and restaurant supplies. For more information, visit corrin.com.
5: What was the big tech story in 2018? What was your favorite moment? Find out on this episode of Tech Bites. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners, tuning in from 165 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. And today, I'm almost 100% sure every single one of them is listening to Tech Bytes, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network, where we talk about the intersection of food and technology. And today, we have a full studio of women in food, tech, and media who are going to help us recap 2018. This is the penultimate show of the year. And here at Tech Bytes, we always take the penultimate show to review what the hell happened. And as a preview, as we always do next week, is going to be our 2019 forecast. But today, we have some returning guests Favorites, And I always love to see these women. And it's nice to have people who have been on the show before because everybody's nice and relaxed and comfortable and cozy. And it's snowing this morning in New York City, but we're cozy in our shipping container in the backyard of Roberta's Pizza. First up on the mic, we have Crystal Mobiani, who is CEO and founder of Bento Box, which is a restaurant tech platform. They build amazing websites. Thank you for coming back. And sitting next to her, we have Elizabeth Meltz, who is co founder of a group called Women in Hospitality United.org. They were founded this year. She came on earlier this summer to talk about their solution sprint. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Now, Back. you're here as Women in Hospitality United. You also have a, a side hustle day job.
3: Yes, I work at Dig In, I'm the director of food safety and sustainability.
5: There we go. <laughs> And next to her is Gabriella Gershenson, who is a writer and a journalist. She was here earlier this year talking about online shopping, good, bad, and guilty. Um, She covers a lot of ground with her writing.
1: I do. It's true.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for coming back in today. Great to be here. So I think between the three of these ladies, we have a really interesting point of view about what has happened over the course of this year. But before we get to the big stories, we're going to talk about apps, like we always do. Um, favorite apps, something new? Anybody?
3: Oh, Anybody? Um, I thought about this. I decided I was going to go with this app called Simply Being. It's a meditation app. It's got like five different lengths, uh, a couple background noises, and it just it's a very soothing voice that says don't think about anything and and i use it to like fall asleep or just if i'm if I, you know if i need to just kind of recenter simply being so is
5: this the, your first foray into meditation no, apps
3: this one i've had for a while and the reason i'm picking it is because it's it's the easiest and the one i always go back to if i can't fall asleep or if i just need to like reset while i'm walking you can set it for 5 minutes yeah
5: not a month goes by that someone doesn't mention a meditation app yeah <laughs> So interesting. I mean, it seems counterintuitive to be using your electronic device to meditate, but I guess it
3: works. This one is very basic. Sometimes I just put it on speaker and and
2: put my head on the pillow. (laughs) Although you're not supposed to be sleeping in the same room with your phone. That's another thing I'm working on. Well, speaking of that, my uh, new favorite app that I've been using for a couple of months, it's called Freedom. And you schedule times where you can access certain... um, apps, which, and I've put mine as email and Slack between 1030 and 7 a.m., 1030 p.m., 7 a.m. on school nights.
5: What about Instagram?
2: Yeah, but those aren't the things I go to. I don't, okay. i before, I always so like, check work. my email before bed. Yeah. So now it gives me a good 30, 60 minutes to like really not think about it. I'm hearing
5: the George Michael song in my head, like Frida. <laughs> yeah. um, is that a free like. app or paid
2: um, it's I've, I've paid for it. I think it's got some limitations. If, it's if like you don't, a freemium thing. Yeah, maybe. yeah. But it's, it's wonderful. But it's like, I think it's like less than a couple dollars. I don't even know. It's remember. really
3: interesting because one of the things I find is I get caught in the tech loop. Like I check my Instagram, I check my email, I check my right. Slack, and then it's time. By that time, 20 minutes has passed, something might be new, and then I go around. So, like, cutting that off would be effective.
5: Because you want to sort of know what's happening before you go to sleep. I get caught in, um, similarly, I, I do a very similar thing to you, Liz, probably. I also somehow always hit the um, the Apple News feed yes. for like the updates, even though it's pretty static. It's not actually in real time. I mean, I think it updates maybe once or twice during the day, and then they reshuffle everything. So I look at that, and then I always think to myself, this really isn't the new, fresh news. I'm going to go to Twitter. Because <laughs> Twitter's going to have real-time news yep. from people. And then, But I do think about getting one of those apps yeah it's tough
2: yeah you gotta do something you know
5: (laughs) yeah i'm also thinking about buying um just a regular alarm clock for going into next year so that i can completely put the phone into the other room and then have a just regular regular old alarm clock and just set it and then forget it
2: yeah
5: right yeah we'll see big plans for 2019 yeah
1: do you have a an app that you like I do. It, I, I kind of uh, workshopped it with my co-panelists <laughs> before we went on air. Um, I have a menstruation app.
5: Mm-hmm. It's That's very popular right now.
1: Clue. Um, Clue? Clue. And I've I, I just never been one of those women who knows exactly when all of my uh, reproductive things are popping into <laughs> gear. Are, like some women know exactly when they're ovulating. I'm not one of those people. Um, and I think it's probably a good idea to become one of them. I don't love the idea of feeding such personal health information mm. into an app and I just kind of you know signed a deal with the devil because it helps me and I did go to the gynecologist a few days ago and the, um, the technician was just delighted when I took out my app to tell her exactly when was the last day mm. that I had been um, menstruating because she I, I, I think that for for people like her it is, really just taking a lot of margin of error out of their jobs. So, you know, happy to help medicine. It's an increasingly
5: popular type of app that we're hearing on the show from women. And generally, I've observed a lot lot more articles about that kind of thing in women-focused media and magazines. I am not entirely sure um, what is driving it. I could understand if people are really focused on reproduction or not reproduction that you would want to have, you know, a, a very fine detail on that information, but as a sort of just general trend, it's interesting to me, but, um, reproduction, reproduction. (laughs) Okay. All right. (laughs) Thank you for sharing. Thank you. Well, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe we should do a, uh, we'll talk about 2019. Maybe we can workshop a, uh, mommy tech, mommy to be tech, uh, show. God willing. <laughs> so, Noam, our engineer, who's not on the mommy track,
6: do you have some app um, input for us this week? So, firstly, I just want to shout out whoever said Freedom. I've had that app on my computer for, like... That was Crystal. I, I was an early adopter, like, Ooh. before they even became a company. Almost, like, maybe eight years now. What? I, I love it. I also think there is something so dystopian about the fact that it's called Freedom, right? That yeah. it's, like, the... Because what it's doing is cutting it off. Um, So I don't have an app, but I just had an experience yesterday that I think you'll find interesting. So I have a flip phone, as as listeners know. And I had been texting this friend of mine. I'm doing a live show on Monday, and she's going to be a a guest. She's a veterinarian, and and I'm going to be doing an interview with her. And I had sent her a, a text a week ago asking her about stuff, and we'd been in touch. And then she wrote one back where she said, liked, and then it had stuff in quotes. And I thought, like, well, that's an odd thing that you liked what I talked about, you know, what the content would be. And then yesterday I, emailed, I texted her something, and she responded, and I got back another liked one. And what I realized is she's not quoting the text and writing the word liked it's I guess she's like liking it I guess that's something you can do <laughs> and it's sending it back to me with telling me that she liked it All
5: right. Are you, do you have a, any social media accounts like Instagram or Facebook on your computer
6: yeah I, uh, I use Twitter a lot on my computer uh, Instagram a touch to use Instagram on the computer you have to like go into Safari and then go into some like developer mode to upload mm-hmm. and uh, yeah I use Facebook on my computer so
5: she's liking it
6: I think it's I texted her so she like she is
5: liking it because she probably has an iPhone
6: right And that, on the
5: iPhone iOS you can
6: like touch text
5: and you can like it not like it ha 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 Ha, ha, ha! exclamation point there's a series of emojis that you can respond to the text with
6: yeah well i see emojis come back as blank squares so that's why i didn't realize Hmm. that you could like something it's it's amazing i'm still you know it's like a good marriage i've been with this i've been with a flip phone for years and i'm still learning new things to love about her every day
5: So, if people are fascinated, as I am, about Noam and his flip phone life, he's never, ever had a smartphone, ever. He's been on a flip phone the entire time. We did a show with him last week called The Flip Phone Life, and it's just talking about how you live with a flip phone. It's kind of crazy It's also wonderful some, to me yeah it, it you know it's also something i might do for 2019 you can buy the if you buy a prepaid go phone that matches your carrier you can probably pop out your sim card and put it into the go phone or mm-hmm. the burner phone or however you want to couch it um, and then roll with that for a little while wow. i used to do that every now and again and it was very liberating also yeah. Yeah. i love
1: it when i accidentally leave my phone at home Because I feel like all those impulses to do something, they just get squashed because I can't do it. And then I feel very free. Like freedom. Your app.
5: Mm -hmm. You have to queue up George Michael. So I don't have an app for the end of the year. But I do have, I think, coincidentally, one of the biggest app stories this year is the New York Times this week. Uh, If you love podcasts, which I'm assuming you do, the New York Times podcast, The Daily, is exceptional. I do listen to it every day, and sometimes it's the only news I consume. On Monday, they did an episode about this big series of articles that came out in the paper on Monday about location tracking. Apps that use location-based services track you, and then they sell or share your location data with lots of people because there's a lot of value in knowing where people are. So the argument from the company side has always been that people are anonymous, it's not your name, you're just a number. And what the New York Times discovered was that the granular detail of how much tracking the apps are doing are so specific you don't need a person's name to figure out who it is. Some people were tracked repeatedly, like over and over, refresh every time you move, uh, one person 14,000 times in one day. They could track uh, the mayor of New York City leaving Gracie Mansion because it pinpoints your location. So you have people leaving Gracie Mansion, going to the gym that the mayor likes to work out in, going here, going there, a woman leaving her home going to her school job, going to her gym, people going to the doctor's office, somebody going to a Planned Parenthood, going to a Planned Parenthood, reemerging two hours later, nuclear power plant employees, all kinds of things. And the number of times a person's location is tracked and recorded happens continuously all day long. And they got their hands on a cache of data which represented all this different tracking with points on a, on a map, and it's really breathtaking. Really, really breathtaking. So apps, location-based apps, anything that is automatically asking you to share your location. I mean, a Google map is an obvious one, but you know, dating apps, look for a movie app,
1: where's my closest theater, all those kinds of things. That's how I met my husband, He's, on a location-based dating app. Interesting. Yes. Well, um, Uh, probably about two years ago, right around this time. um, I was leaving my job, so I had, it's like the unsexiest meeting story, but I had a lot of flex spending dollars I had to spend (laughs) from my insurance plan before I left work so that the money wouldn't evaporate. So I went to the place where I get my glasses and it turns out that he worked two floors above and he was constantly refreshing the app because that's just what he's like. And uh, when he was in the elevator up to his job, I guess I was looking at glasses, the ones I'm wearing now. um, And that's how he met. Never take them off. (laughs) (laughs) I'm never taking off
5: these glasses again. Never take them off.
1: They're your lucky talisman. And the app is called Happen Without an E.
5: That's that's thrilling and a little creepy to me at the same time. Um, I was about to say... That the New York Times published several, a pa- you know, several articles around this subject, so sort of like a package of stories. There are some videos and things like that and maps that you can see. And one of the articles that they published alongside this story was how to turn off your location tracking from the different apps. And they walk through different steps for iOS and for Android. Um, and essentially, what you have to do is just go into your settings and start to turn off location. Don't use your location, maybe only when you're using the app and and things like that. So I went in and did that, turned everything off. But there's a time and a place, apparently, for it.
1: Well, you know, thank God I'm here to tell the story, and you're not reading that I was murdered... (laughs) by someone I met on this location-based app. I guess it can go either way. Um, But the interesting, I mean, they, they went to sort of an
5: extreme political place in the New York Times and they were talking about it because then they were looking at employees at a nuclear power plant. You know, when they come and go, where they go, where they live. You know, the person leaves the power plant, they get into their car, they drive to the supermarket, they drive to their home. They were talking about, you know, Depending on who got a hold of the information, you know, prime targets for you know Russian operatives to go and you know try and get a nuclear power plant employee onto the payroll, kind of thing. All kinds of just like wacky, creepy, scary stuff like that. Anyway, so to me, we love to talk about apps just because they're fun and everybody has them and it's a part of life. And you know, you need apps to even get away from your apps.
2: Mm-hmm.
5: Freedom, freedom. True. But read the terms and conditions. Don't say yes to everything automatically. Delete the stuff you don't need on your phone. You know, now's a good time to go through your privacy settings and don't
1: don't share it and try and try and be safe. Well, part of the story was that a lot of the terms and conditions were duplicitous mm-hmm. or didn't really reveal Tell you. all the information right. that they were going to be sharing from the data that they glean from your activities. So it's really disconcerting when there's no transparency there, even if you're trying to be a good regulated citizen yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. It's terrible.
3: I also have an eleven and thirteen year old step stepdaughter and stepson and so and they have smartphones and this is terrifying.
5: It is. Yeah. Although as a as a you know, parent or person responsible for a small child, you have all kinds of low yes. jack tracking technology available to you yeah. to track their little persons as they move through
6: (laughs) life for safety. Can I propose something dystopian? Of course. I I often think that parents are going to be offered in the next 15 years, that when your child is born, you can put a chip in them to track them in case anything happens. And I think the majority of parents will say yes, right? Because, like, God forbid your kid gets kidnapped or something, you'd want to be able to find them. Um, so I actually think that will be the default, what people do. But that's also crazy.
3: I mean, my dog has a chip. Yeah. So in, the, in the collar or on? In the, no, in her neck. She wow. has a It's called a wow. like again. So wow. if, if she gets out and a vet gets her, they scan the chip and they know where, who she belongs to. Wow. Yeah. And that's pretty old school.
1: That's yeah. It's
5: been around for new. a long right. time. I think of it more of like animals in the wild, you know, right. like tagging, shark week tagging.
1: Yeah. Like the sexy duck. Yeah, actually, exactly. I think he has a little tag on his flipper. <laughs>
5: wow. Okay. So so the good, yes. the bad, and the creepy on the tech side. Um, okay. <laughs> let's let's actually let's take a little break. We will find out who our amazing sponsor is. Did you know Heritage Radio Network is a five hundred one c three nonprofit? We keep the lights on and the mics hot entirely on the generosity of our underwriters, sponsors, grants, and our members. Are you a member of Heritage Radio? If you're not, you could be. And if you are, I love you. Go to heritageradionetwork.org donate, and you can become a member before the year's end. You could even give it to somebody as a holiday gift. They would love you forever also.
4: Koren's Tribeca showroom is home to the most extensive collection of Japanese chef knives in the world, including Japan. Stop by to view their exquisitely designed tableware and their rarest natural sharpening stones. They have a whole range of knife services, from repair and rust removal to reshaping and realigning. Koren is dedicated to this ideal— Bringing the highest quality Japanese design to your table so you can experience the unparalleled quality of Japanese craftsmanship in your home or restaurant. For more information, visit korin.com.
5: Well, if you're just joining us and you're wondering what the hell you clicked on, this is Tech Bites, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network, where we talk to influencers and innovators in the food tech space. And today we have a full studio of women in food tech and media to talk about 2018. We have Crystal Mobiani, who's CEO and founder of Bento Box, which is a great restaurant tech platform. They build amazing websites for restaurants. She has been on the show a few times this year. She was on episode 126, where we talked about restaurant websites. And then we did a two, we were actually on a panel together at General Assembly on tech and food that we recorded and broke into two episodes, 133 and 134. So, Crystal, you have a, such a unique point of view in that you see the whole industry, both from what restaurants want and what consumers want. What do you think the big trends were for 2018?
2: I think one thing that um, this is less tech related, although there was a lot of promotion happening on websites and, and a lot of a lot of online conversation about it was sort of the rise and fall of hospitality included I found really interesting right um, and
5: hospitality included means your price the price of your meal includes a tip so you don't do a tip add-on.
2: Yeah exactly and just I mean you know obviously some restaurants are still doing it but many adopting it and then having many adverse reactions from consumers, from their staff and then ultimately it not becoming very sustainable, and uh, and also sharing that learning experience very publicly in a, in a lot of ways. Um, I thought that was really, really interesting.
5: Do trends like that then necessitate a lot of updating on restaurant websites? Well, I mean, I, I tend to think of restaurants as being not uh, really real-time with their website information sometimes, <laughs> but if you have hospitality included or not, then that is affecting...
2: I would think your prices, your yeah. menu, your policies
5: that are on the website.
2: Absolutely. And, yeah, giving any very easy way to update that non-PDF menu <laughs> on the website <laughs> is uh, very important.
5: Yeah. Were there um, any particular pieces of technology or functionality that restaurants were
2: asking for this year? Mm, I mean, we have, uh, you know, historically, just because of how... It's so fragmented. Stayed away from online ordering and offering that as, as a as a you know a feature. And um, we came out with this feature a year or two ago, um, catering. So it's basically like online ordering, but not real time. And it's just been like hugely successful. And so the the ask for online ordering and wanting to take back that ownership. Um, uh, from these third parties and wanting to offer that directly uh, is something that we are um, going to move forward with. So we're really excited about that.
5: That is going to be something that's going to potentially have a huge impact on restaurants. I mean, I'm sure,
3: Liz, being with Dig In. Um, yeah, I mean, I, it's not my area of expertise, but I hear about online ordering and the woes and the challenges all the time. And the money lost. Yeah, and yeah. the customer
5: information loss. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, talk about wanting the data. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah a big part of us um, introducing that is we're really trying to figure out how we can not only offer literally that feature, but also how can we create a system where restaurants can help kind of move those customers over in a way through like marketing and automation, and things like that. So we're working through that right now. But it's, it feels like a critical part uh, to make sure that it works
5: yeah, it's it's fascinating. We had a show this year. Um, we had a show this year with mm. a startup food tech founder who was pitching his services to a restaurant owner. This show in particular was the the service was they integrated all of the delivery service feeds. Mm. So instead of a restaurant having six iPads on a counter, one for each of the six delivery services that they're using, they would the tech service would funnel all of the delivery feeds together and then integrate it into the restaurant's ticket and POS system so you just had one universal feed versus needing a person to sort of manage all those independent order streams which is just crazy which is a problem that did not exist a couple of years ago and then for a restaurant that's an extra person and an extra piece of
3: technology that you have to add to your already shrinking budget it's not my area of expertise, but I know that Dig in is working on something called Delivery 2.0, so I'm just going to plug it here and maybe okay. something okay. for 2019. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'd be doing my coworkers a disservice if I didn't mention it.
5: <laughs> so, Gabby, what have you seen out there as a writer in the media? What, are, what do you think the big storylines were for this year, trends?
1: Um, I think that uh, food and food narratives um, are... Uh, as political as they've been in a long time, I think that um, that's really a culmination of factors in our political world, um, in our social world. Uh, There are a lot of people who feel their voices have been suppressed, and I feel that we're continuing to experience something that I think really um, kind of broke out during the beginning of the Trump administration, where people who write about food... um, realize that it's not really all about food in a vacuum. And I, I don't think that's a new thing, but I do think that there's been a sense of boldness and a sense of urgency in the way people talk about food. And I think that um, a lot of you know writers, chefs, restaurateurs are dipping their toes into arenas where they might not have a few years ago, just when it comes to um, a more integrated look at how the food conversation plays into the human conversation. Um, And again, I want to emphasize, I don't think this is new, but I do think that there's a pungence and a relevance about it that um, just, you know, I can't not mention it. Um, But there are also, you know, more developments uh, that I think might um, fall into the the tech realm. Um, I just read about... uh, revolt against no-cash restaurants, Mm. which also is a, you know, it's become a political conversation with good reason, because uh, people find it discriminatory. You know, people who don't have credit cards, what, they can't eat at a restaurant? Or, it's not even,
5: yeah, it's also just also the technology. I recall one of the articles that I read about a person who was having a hard time in a non-cash restaurant was a very lovely uh, woman who had the means to pay for it, but she was in her 70s, I think, and did not have a smartphone and didn't understand or, you know, wasn't able to do an electronic transaction like that.
1: It's an interesting time. There's a lot of change afoot. Of um, we lost a lot of people in food writing this year. And there's... Um, There's a lot of uh, questions about whose voice will will be the next big voice. Jonathan Gold was the only food writer to ever win a Pulitzer Prize. He died. He had um, pancreatic cancer. And Anthony Bourdain died on the day of my wedding. his loss is irreplaceable. I mean, everyone's is. But uh, the food world and the world at large, President Obama, I, I didn't realize how much Anthony Bourdain had done to introduce lay people to the idea of experiencing the world through food. And that's something that I wish it wasn't his death that um, brought that realization to me. But um, it's a really profound impact to have on people to have that infectious curiosity, I think that's really good for humankind. Um, So his is a voice that is going to be missed. Um, And Patricia Quintana was a revolutionary Mexican um, chef, um, cookbook author, I think she wrote 28 um, books about Mexican food, and she was kind of like a, her career was forged before the internet, so um, I was learning about who she was because she had died. Um, but it's exciting in a way to know that there are many more voices out there who are going to fill that void, but, um, this is a pretty monumental year for food, food conversation.
5: Yeah. That's a, that's a lot of, a lot of statement there, (laughs) a lot of statement, a lot of big stories and, you know, almost everything, single thing you said is a big, big headline idea. These aren't small, little, you know, like.
1: I think cauliflower is the
5: new kale. You know, I, I could have not- gone there, but I was <laughs> like,
1: "Why?" <laughs> that would be doing us a disservice.
5: The interesting thing um, to go back to the the first part of your um, conversation, which I think is a, is a is a perfect tee up for Liz. A few years ago I observed that the conversations around food moved from sort of the chef is the creator and the maker with the ingredients and the ideas and we started to track back through who produced the product who was the and you know who's the maker of the charcuterie or who's the maker of the cheese and then we went back to and then who's the farmers and Um, You know, when I was at Gilt with Ruth Reichel, she she was saying in 2011, farmers are going to be the next rock stars, you know. So I think our conversation about food was starting to be expansive towards the people who were making it with a focus of sort of the craftspeople and the artisans who were making it. And I think the conversation you're talking about then started to expand to people making it sort of on a day-to-day more labor point of view, and then the people who are the owners, what kind of activities are they doing? And in many instances a lot of these conversations don't have to do with the actual making of the food, but they have to do with other things that happen maybe in that building or in that room or in that space. Notably, I think the um, New York Times review for the reboot of The Four Seasons by Pete Wells, was it last week? I believe so. The first third of the review is about the history of one of the owners and his criminal record and in, in you know violence against women which is
1: staggering wouldn't it be interesting if sports writing was like that oh <laughs>
5: sports writing it's a whole other thing i just i can't sports writing's terrible and the sports industry is terrible and the, the american and just global publics willingness to turn a cheek to convicted felony assault because somebody's good at sports is is repugnant to me. But anyway, <laughs> to your point, people were having a lot of conversations. People are having a lot of conversations. And I think, Liz, that's where Women in Hospitality United oh. comes in. Like, yes. tell us, you, you basically created that group this year yes. because of People getting together, having women getting together, having conversations about the restaurant industry and kind of having energy and attitude and opinions, but not really knowing how to, you know, coalesce that force and weaponize it.
3: Yeah. Um, A lot of questions about what we were seeing in the industry, what our role was in it as either victim or enabler or, you know, how we could have prevented or... um, and then leading to okay, great. I have all these feelings and thoughts about this, but now how can I be the change that I want to see in this industry? How can I be? How can I make the industry what what we would love it to be? So uh, back in January of 2018 of this year, I got together. I sent an email to about 75 or 100 women who I identified as in hospitality. I think every, everyone, although media was not invited for the first couple. Um, <laughs> Everyone in this room would qualify, Um, and anybody who wanted to come, we got together at Haven's Kitchen. We actually had a facilitator, a professional facilitator not in our industry, and we met for two hours. And it uh, it was kind of a mess, in a good way, looking back, because a lot of that had to get out and get us started. And we've done about seven or eight meetings now, including the solution sprint, which is, uh, I don't want to repeat myself too much from the last episode, but it's based on the hackathon model of uh, the technology model. Um, throwing out an idea, getting all the right people in the room, and hacking the problem. And it was hugely successful. Um, I keep saying this, but it, it it never loses any potency. Not a single person of the 75-plus people that RSVP'd canceled or didn't show. Every, wow. single, every single name tag was picked up. That's including amazing. people from, from Kansas City, uh, Toronto, Indianapolis, you name it.
5: I don't think anybody who has run a reservation book at a restaurant mm. or hosted an event.
3: Yeah. Seeing I mean, really powerful.
5: Seeing 100% attendance is is very rare. Yeah.
3: People coming off red eyes. It was incredible. Wow. So now I mean I'm sure we'll get to the 2019 stuff, but <laughs> we're looking on how either how to reproduce that or how to how to do a little bit more uh, a little bit wider kind of thing.
5: So for all of you if you were going to, you know, Describe 2018 in in, in one or two words, what would that be from your point of view?
2: Complicated.
5: (laughs) You're always very good at this. (laughs) I remember when we were on the uh, General Assembly panel, I asked every... I was the the moderator. Mm -hmm. I asked everyone if they were food or tech and you said feck. (laughs) And I was so mad because it was so So good. good. Yeah. (laughs) I was like,
3: oh... Um, For me, 2018 was a lot about embracing the gray, living in that space. Interesting, embracing
5: the gray. Yeah,
3: living in that space where, you know, we were talking about it earlier, um, good and bad can coexist in the same person or the same thing, you know, just really. Or like in the transition between jobs, living in that sort of, okay, I'm going to make a change. It's going to be hard and just being uncomfortable. Maybe, Maybe instead of embracing the gray, sort of uncomfortability. Is that a word? Maybe. No. Yeah. It is now.
1: We can ask the internet. It's funny, when you were talking, I was like, maybe my word is uncomfortable. Um, And then you said uncomfortable.
3: I said uncomfortability, but... (laughs)
1: Uncomfortability. Um, Yeah, this is, as someone who peddles in words for a living, I'm very Mm. um, embarrassed that I'm having a hard time thinking of Well, you
5: can say uncomfortable.
1: Yeah, I guess uncomfortable, um, maybe ambivalent. No, I think uncomfortable. It's a very complicated world. And it's a world where we... Being encouraged to really speak our minds, but it's also a world that is very, um, there's a lot of invisible electric fences mm-hmm. out there. It's a very hard place to have a dialogue. And I think that more than ever, people really need to come together and talk without judgment uh, because I think that we so badly want to connect about ideas. We want to connect about real personal experiences. And I am talking about in, you know, food and the professional food world and on the other hand there is so many triggers um, someone says the wrong thing and, you know, everyone's head explodes and I feel like these this need to be heard and to share ideas and then um, this uh, really explosive atmosphere where if you say the wrong thing you get put in a box um, and it's really hard to get out of that box. It's, it's setting us back um, and I think as a food community I've always marveled at how it's a very, um, I think, for the most part, I'm I'm amazed by how much um, admiration and warmth I have toward people in our industry. Mm-hmm. I think maybe because it's about food and drink, um, you can't really go to an event or a gathering without the walls kind of melting away because you're eating together and drinking together, and that's really the fastest route toward togetherness. And I love to see, um, this is my aspiration, how about this, my aspiration mm-hmm. for 2019 is to harness that togetherness in conversation with people who we don't agree with or don't understand toward the goal, toward a better understanding of one another and, and moving forward together. Do you think you can actualize that in your work writing? Cause you do you have a public
5: voice in the public sphere.
1: I think that at the core of what I do is a benevolence. Um, I not a preachy writer. So, I am always very thoughtful about my work, and I think that I have more of like the water trickling on the stone to eventually, you know, I didn't do very well in biology (laughs) or or, uh, geography, geology, but I think my approach is a little um, more slow and steady toward just positivity. Okay, fair enough. That sounds good. That's good to have a goal like that. I just articulated it for the first time here. Fantastic. You heard well, it here. you know,
5: talking <laughs> about things in conversation is is a great way through things many times. I think, you know, one of the you know, you talked earlier about voices losing voices, gaining voices. I think Jose Andres, it's it's absolutely breathtaking to me and Also, um, very joyful that he is nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. That's just, there are so many things about it that are amazing and wonderful and I think timely. And a person like him winning a prize like that on the global scale could be a very, I mean, he is already a lighthouse, I think, in the industry and in the world in many ways. But to elevate him to that stage... Um, That is political, but international and and so many things, it's very, um, could, could be a great watershed moment and could be really inspiring to the food world and the restaurant industry and other chefs because this is something that is absolutely, no one would have said You know, a year ago, could you imagine a chef getting nominated for a Nobel Prize? Could you imagine a culinary student today who's watching the career of Jose Andres say, yeah, and you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to, like, change the world and, you know, I want to win a Nobel Prize with my food. I mean, that's an amazing, amazing statement, and that would create, you know, an opportunity and a vision for people to look at, to maybe emulate. And if people think about food in that regard, that could open up a whole new category of what people want to use their profession towards. You know, it's kind of makes, you know, like Michelin stars (laughs) in a cookbook or a TV show seem a little... Superficial. Yes, thank you. That's the word I was looking for. Mm. Um, So, yeah, I think he would be... I think that is also, to me, one of the big last-minute entries into big storylines for this year.
1: That was a really good one.
5: (laughs) I have not read his book yet about feeding... The island, Um, but that is on my to-read list, coming up soon. So we'll have to see. I would love to have him on the show. He would be an amazing, amazing guest. Would love it. So we are we are getting close to running out of time. Um, What was your on a on a personal note? What anything anybody wants to share? What was your bestest, most favoriteest, great moment this year? And it doesn't necessarily have to be tech or you know Mm. tech related or work related, but. What was something that happened this year that you were just like, wow, that was spectacular?
1: Um, I'd be happy to go first. I worked on a project that was really fulfilling. and That's going to be a book that will be out in um, April 2019. But it was a big, ambitious feature that I did with Tablet Magazine. It was a great ensemble effort. Um, We tried to pinpoint the 100 most Jewish foods in the world. And of ta- all time ever ever, uh, you know we of course matzah had to be there because it's in the it's in the Bible. But um, it it was tongue in cheek. It was fun. Um, there were a lot of interesting voices. Uh, you didn't have to love the food to write about it, and it was really quite remarkable to see all of those foods in one place and all those different people in one place, like Gautamato Langi and Action Bronson um, and just people with real interesting perspectives Um, and it was beautifully executed and it just felt like the sum was um, you know, greater than the parts and a lot of the time when I I've been a features editor for many years at different magazines, and with big, big ambitious packages like this, and once it's out on the newsstands or online, you're like, oh, I don't want to look at that, I know how this sausage got made, you know, you know all the little things that no one really wants to know about when they're reading a story, but um, this was one where I looked at it, and I was like, this is, this is big, Yeah so the 100 most jewish foods is coming mm-hmm. out coming soon as a book from artisan in april um, that's exciting yeah that's awesome. it'll be good <laughs> crystal
2: i made five perfect poached eggs at the same time in one pot
5: <laughs> that's <laughs> your quite a feat
2: <laughs> that's it quite is. a feat just wanted to br- bring it down <laughs> there we go
5: <laughs> there we go
2: <laughs> thank you yeah are you serious Yeah, that's that's really. I I was trying. Did you really do it? Yeah, no, I did. I added a lot of vinegar, but it was it was great.
3: That sounds very gratifying.
2: It was. It was. I was like, that really is my most biggest accomplishment.
3: Um, I had a couple came to mind because I had more time, but I'm gonna go with the thing that came to mind first, which is that my stepdaughter asked for an extra day a week for us to have dinner. Yeah, and uh, I have a great. Their mother is amazing, Um, but it's been we've been having dinner every Tuesday night, just the two of us, and it's just been so gratifying and exciting. That's great.
5: Turns out everybody's best moments uh, circle around food and sharing food. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Mm. Yeah, that wasn't even on purpose. Yeah, well, it's just kind mm -hmm. of how it works, I guess. Yeah. So we are unfortunately really running out of time. I want to thank. These ladies for coming back into the booth and talk about twenty eighteen. If you want to find them online and social media in the world, maybe you want to see what they're up to, listen to their past episodes, or maybe come to their events, contract their services, buy their books. Crystal Mobayani, CEO and founder of Bento Box. You can find them in social media at GetBento. They are online at getbento.com. Mm-hmm. She's episode 126, 133, and 134. Gabriella Gershenson, she is a writer, so she doesn't have really a website, but you can follow her on social media, at Gabby, G-A-B-I, writes. She's on episode 147. It's really fascinating. It's about things you should and should not do if you have to shop online um, and what the impacts are to the world. Some good, some not so good, but it's a really fascinating um, episode. It was a great story. We have Elizabeth Metz who's co-founder of womeninhospitalityunited.org They are at Women in Hospitality United. Um, She's episode 148 which was the run up to their solution sprint but you have some other events coming up also. And also other things coming up from episodes past. I want to give a shout out to uh, the Rabobank Food Bites event which we've talked about on the show. We've had some of the winners and some of the contestants it's a really great program if you are a food tech startup they are taking applications for the next one which is san francisco the deadline is this sunday december 16th um so if you want go to food bites and check it out it's a really interesting program and the event uh itself is really great if you're looking for the next new food tech kind of things i go to their events all the time because it's a great hunting ground for guests. I want to thank Noam, who is our engineer. He's new this year. He has a flip phone <laughs> and we're just going to talk about that for years to come. I want to thank DJ Uptown Nico, who is the mastermind of our amazing theme song Nomad CPU track Thank all the folks in the office at heritageradionetwork.org. Thank Roberta's Pizza for giving us the land to plant our shipping container radio station. And thank all of our listeners. Thank you for listening and coming back and making it a great year. Make sure you come back and see us next week at 11 a.m. for our 2019 predictions. And I'm going to stop talking so we can let George take us home.
3: Next year, Heritage Radio Network is turning 10. For the last decade, we've been committed to bringing listeners around the world the very best in food radio for free. Our small staff and incredible network of hosts work hard so that listeners can tune in each week to hear the important conversations in food policy, stay on the cutting edge of cocktail culture, and hear the latest updates in food tech. But there is no HRN without the support of listeners like you. Become a member of Heritage Radio Network today and help HRN get a strong start to our second decade. Choose from exclusive member gifts and stay in the loop on discounts to upcoming events. There's no better time to show your support. Go to heritageradionetwork.org slash donate and wish HRN a happy birthday.
1: Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter